We're still um, in Matthew, and, and um, we've been people have been taking turns talking about stories in Matthew. And um, Josh asked me to do this story from Matthew 12. And he asked me because he was under the impression that it was my, one of my favorite Jesus stories. And I thought it was one of my favorite Jesus stories too. And then I read it for like three weeks straight. And I still love it, but I'm not sure it's my, um, one of my favorite Jesus stories for the reasons I thought it was. I realized, like, studying this for two or three weeks that, oh, it doesn't say at all what I thought it said. It says something different. And um, that, was, that was just a really strange experience for me the last couple weeks. We, um, this is the story of Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath. And I, about a year or two ago, Josh was asking people in this room for their favorite stories of Jesus, and I had said that this was one of mine, and I think that's where he got the impression. Um, <laughs> Because I said it was my favorite. Um, and then in our men's group, we have like a liturgy we read um, when we get together. And, and we go through kind of examples from Jesus of the type of men we'd like to be. So, so we talk about, you know, Jesus crying at the death of Lazarus and um, uh, Jesus eating with sinners and Jesus begging for mercy in the garden, and then we talk about, and Jesus ate grain on the Sabbath. So it's really just interesting to have gone through this process the last two or three weeks and, and realize that I still love this story, just not for the reasons I thought I did. If there's anything I want you to get out of this story today and kind of what I have to share, I'd like you to be encouraged. My friend Jeff, who I used to go to church with, he was really adamant about the idea that a Sunday morning sermon is all about encouraging the saints. That's, that's the point of a Sunday morning sermon. Monday through Friday is for Bible study and for learning new things and for challenging yourself. Saturday is about the Sabbath, and that's what this passage talks about today is the Sabbath. And then Sunday is all about encouraging the saints. Um, ironic that I am the one to encourage you. Because if you've been in a meeting with me or a Bible study with me, you know that I'm not always the most encouraging person to be around. I get emotional sometimes and say things and then apologize for saying things. And, and so encouraging is something that I'm challenged to do. Um, so let's look at um, this, this passage. We're going to cover Matthew 12, 1 through 8. Uh, at that time, Jesus went through the grain, grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat? nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, or mercy and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." The word of the Lord. 
What's at stake in this passage is interpretation of Scripture. And the Pharisees and Jesus have different interpretations of the Scripture. Interpretation, we should say right off the bat, is really hard. If you are a, a, a Bible student, if you're at Fuller or Azusa, you know that, that interpretation is hard. If you're new to this faith, you probably know that, that interpreting Scripture is hard. My last job before I became a, a high school teacher was in a group home not far from here, and I had two students, or two clients there, Adam and Robert. And Adam and Robert grew up in Christian homes, and um, they had both sort of, it had been made known to them that they were no longer welcome in their Christian homes. Um, Adam w- was addicted to drugs and an alcoholic, and uh, Robert was uh, uh, gay, and they had, it had been made known to them in their religious homes, you're not welcome here anymore, and they, they obviously had depression and all kinds of issues because of that, and they ended up in this group home where, where they stayed with, with us. And um, When they found out I was a Christian, that was a little bit alarming to them at first. They didn't know what to expect. But what would happen is on Wednesday nights, my job was to sit in the hallway while they got ready for bed. And um, we had like these amazing times because I'd be down there and I'd be reading a book and, and, and I think they just wanted to get out of going to bed. So they would sit and ask me questions and my narcissistic side would like get really excited about them asking me questions. So I'd share with them. And uh, they would sit and ask me questions and we would stay up for an extra hour or so just talking about their experiences and their life and, and, and the way I read scripture and, and why I went to church, why I called myself a Christian. And it was just a really amazing time. And the best compliment I ever got was from Adam. Adam said to me, you know, John, every Wednesday you come into work and we ask you questions about God and Jesus and the Bible and I ask you questions about uh, human sexuality and drugs and addiction. And then on Thursday, when I talk to my pastor, he says the exact opposite of everything you told me on Wednesday. <laughs> that's the best compliment I ever got. <laughs> but that's the, that's the whole thing about interpretation being hard, is that different people interpret things different ways, and... And Adam and Robert saw that in our discussions, and, and, um, and the Pharisees and Jesus had that issue here. They're interpreting the law in different ways. The first thing I realized about this passage is, um, is how far removed I am from it culturally. There's like 2,000 years and an ocean and a continent, two continents between um, us and them, and... and we, we Christians are so far removed from this first century Palestinian uh, interpretation of Scripture, what, what, what these people did in the temple, what they did on the Sabbath, the way they read the law. I realized that when I, um, I've been reading this book called Eating Animals, and it's, it's a really good book just about things we should consider when we eat food and um, Jonathan Foyer, who wrote the book, is, is Jewish. I don't know to what extent he is Jewish, but he tells a story of, of his grandmother escaping the, the Holocaust. And she was a European Jew. And his grandmother tells this story. During the war, it was hell on earth, and I had nothing. 
I left my family, you know. I was always running day and night because the Germans were always right behind me. If you stopped, you died. There was never enough food. I became sicker and sicker from not eating, and I'm not just talking about being skin and bones. I had sores on my body. It became difficult to move. I wasn't too good to eat from a garbage can. I ate the parts that others wouldn't eat. If you helped yourself, you could survive, and I took whatever I could find. I ate things I wouldn't tell you about. Even at the worst times, though, there were good people. Someone taught me to tie the ends of my pants so I could fill the legs with potatoes I was going to steal. I walked miles and miles like that because you never knew when you would be lucky again. The worst it got was near the end. A lot of people died at the end, and I didn't know if I could make it one more day. A farmer, a Russian, God bless him, saw my condition, and he went into his house, and he came out with a piece of meat for me. Jonathan says, he saved your life. And she says, I didn't eat it. He says, you didn't eat it? And she said, it was pork. I wouldn't eat pork. Why? What do you mean, why? Because it wasn't kosher? Of course. But not even to save your life? And she says, if nothing matters, there's nothing to save. I was, t I was having coffee with a friend, and I told that story, and the look on his face was like shock. Like, you'd rather die than, than break this kosher law? Like, that, that seems so crazy to me in, in 2017 United States, right? Like, like, everything that I think about often is like how to self-preserve or how to to continue on. Uh, yeah, for this woman, this, this European Jew, that, that breaking the kosher law, even if it meant her life, was just not acceptable. And I think there's a, um, something there with, with, that we can maybe even empathize with the Pharisees in this situation. I was, I was going to ask you a, a question. Usually I warn you before I ask you a question, but um, I forgot to, so... Sorry. Uh, but what are the Pharisees seeing here? What is so threatening to them? You can just shout it out if you want. What is so hard for them about what Jesus is doing? They're breaking the Sabbath. Breaking the rules. He's encouraging his followers to break the rules. We always think of his followers as 12, 12 disciples, but we know, of course, that at different times there were different numbers of people following him, so this could have been a lot of people following him. The Pharisees in first century Palestine live in occupied territory. It's occupied by the Romans. They feel threatened in every situation. In some ways, the only thing they really have is the security of the temple, the security of the law, the security of, of knowing that they're right. And Jesus, in a very different way than the Romans, comes and again challenges their authority, again, in a totally different way than the Romans, but, but Jesus is building followers, and, and to them, it's, they're being challenged. That's scary. When I thought of this story before, I thought of Jesus in terms of the way I think, which, you know, I was born uh, an American, 
And if you're, if you're American, you have this idea of independence, continual revolution, right? Don't tell me what to do. I was baptized Protestant. Protestant has that word protest in it, protest against the Catholic Church. When that protest is over, I don't know. Soon, hopefully, we'll be done. In high school, I got really interested in anti-establishment literature and music. And in and, and, and a way, I, I wanted Jesus to be all those things. Like, this is Jesus being independent. He loves freedom. He's, he's anti-religion. Um, but that's really, like, a dangerous way to read Scripture, right? It's really dangerous. Like, you, you think of, like, making a stew, and I've got a big pot, and, like, I'm an American, I'm a Protestant, and then I'm going to throw some Scripture in there and pull it out and be like, oh, I have a personal Savior. He likes the death penalty, right? And it's like, that's it, a really dangerous way to read Scripture. I have a, uh, a student said to me one time, he said, Mr. Edwards, uh, my parents are making me go to church to pray, and I think that's stupid. And my goal as a teacher now is to do two things with this student. I want to affirm her critical thinking, but I also want to challenge her to take it a step further. So I said, you know, student, I agree with you. You shouldn't have to go to church to pray. You can pray anywhere. You can pray at home. You can pray while you're taking a walk. You can pray at the park. You can pray while you're, uh, you know, doing art or activities. You can pray anywhere. You don't have to go to church to pray. I said, but what if I go to church because I love the people there? Because uh, the people at Mountainside are family to me. We've been through births and deaths and weddings together. They make me a better person. I can tell them when I'm scared. I can tell them when I'm sad. I can tell them when I'm angry. What if that's why I go to church? The student put her head down and she said, Mr. Edwards, I think that's stupid too. I failed. Uh, <laughs> she failed. F. Uh, there's a, there was a time in my life where that's what I, that's what I wanted Jesus' response to be to the Pharisees. Like, religion is stupid, law is stupid, Sabbath is stupid, just be free, just be independent. And that, of course, is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus knows the Scripture well. He starts off by talking about David from the book of Samuel. Samuel is a history book. And so he quotes the Pharisees' history to them. And then he moves on to the law from the book of Numbers, Mosaic law. Quotes from Numbers. And then he quotes from the prophets, from Hosea says, I desire compassion, not a sacrifice, or mercy, not a sacrifice. And then, probably in the most offensive statement to the Pharisees, verse 8, he says, for the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. I am Lord over the Sabbath. This is one of those times in Scripture where Jesus kind of jumps from uh, being just a first century Palestinian homeless, poor person, to this 
image that theologians refer to as the cosmic Christ. I am Lord over the Sabbath. If you've ever read a Jewish writer write on the Sabbath, I read one book by Heschel on the Sabbath, and the way Heschel talks about the Sabbath, it is like all time in the whole universe stops on the Sabbath. It is God's timing. Everything ceases to be, and it's just pure presence on that day. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm even Lord over that. That time when all time stops, I'm Lord over that time too. This is kind of the uh, image of uh, Jesus that Paul gives in Colossians Josh, would you read that? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the first fruit of all creation. All things were created in him, invisible and invisible, thrones and lordships, rulers and all powers in the heavens and the earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everybody, and all things are sustained in him. He's the head of the body of the church, he's the first from the dead. He has become the one who excels. Word of the Lord. When Jesus declares he's the that the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath, he's he's giving this awesome picture of himself that 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 is so uh, again hard for us to understand. But it is it's outside of time. It's outside of our universe. It's it's it's. If you, if you actually, if you Google cosmic Christ, the, you can look at the images, and I wouldn't suggest, I mean, some of the pictures are just crazy. That actually led me to, um, to Google Jesus science fiction, and those, those um, images are way awesome. <laughs> you should do that. Um, but but, but the, it's, it's this, this, this totally different image of Jesus than, than, than we often think of. It's, 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 it's this. It's, it's the image of the invisible God. Um, to reconcile all things to him, everything created through him and for him. Before Laura and I came to Mountainside, we, um, we spent two or three years at a Mennonite church. And if there's one thing I got from Mennonite theology, maybe the most important thing I got from Mennonite theology, is that when you read scripture as a Christian, you start with the gospel and you move out from there. So you, so you read the Gospels, and then you go back and read through the Old Testament, or then you go and, and, and move forward through Paul's writings and through, um, you know, on to Revelation. That Jesus is the key to reading the Bible for a Christian. And that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. I am the interpreter of this law. I, the law goes through me. One writer said, it is as though Jesus is saying the point of the law is not the scrupulous self-sacrifice you draw from it. It is the wide-hearted humanity the prophets make of it. And when I think of Jesus, I do think of that wide-hearted humanity bringing people together, bringing people to this table that we, that we celebrate every Sunday. Christ wants human sympathy, not superhuman discipline. Mercy and not 
sacrifice. In men's group, we say curiosity over judgment when you interact with other people. So not meeting people and immediately judging them, but being curious to who they are, to their story. The problem that the Pharisees have, I, I, I suppose, is that this um, Jesus who is Son of Man and Lord over the Sabbath is not concrete. He can't put a wall around him and guard the wall. You can't lock him up. The temple can be, can, a wall and a fence can be built around it. You can put guards there. You can lock it up at night. You can make sure everything is protected behind a thick veil. But Jesus, you can't do that. Jesus looks much more like the immigrant Israelites who are carrying the hope of God through the wilderness. That's often the picture of Jesus we see in the, in the Gospels. In the 20th century, there's, there's no theologian more, um, more influential than, than Karl Barth. He was Swiss, and he lived in Germany. Um, and, and, you know, the World War I and World War II are very uh, important in his, in, his, um, in his theology. Karl Barth famously said that Jesus is the bomb that goes off on the playground of the theologians. And that's kind of the image. That's, I, in my mind, that's what we see happening to the Pharisees. This Jesus is the bomb that goes off in the playground of the theologians. The French writer Jacques Ellul said about the theology of Karl Barth, he kind of summed it up in this way, what the Bible announces is not sin, but salvation. Kurt, can you read that line for me up there? Gabe from Seattle, would you read that line for us? What the Bible announces is not sin, but salvation. And this is, we're not going to get to verse 21. The kids come back at 1150? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're not going to get to verse 21 today, but um, verse 21 of this passage, Matthew quotes... Isaiah and says, um, in this name, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. And that's us this morning, right? The non-Jewish extension of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the church. In the name of Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. And so it's okay for us to sit on this side of the, of the gospel and to read about uh, the law and to read... Uh, uh, read about the Sabbath and, and, and Jesus eating on the Sabbath and to read this story about a woman turning down meat because it's not kosher and it's okay for us to look at God's law and just to be like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, I have no idea what this is all about. Like, it's really hard for me to understand. In 2017 America, it's really hard for me to understand this story of exiled people and, 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 um, and, and the law that God asked them to follow and, and and it's okay for us to read it and to, to feel like outsiders, because we are outsiders, because Jesus is how we were grafted into this vine. I hope that 
that idea that mercy, not sacrifice, is what my two students, Adam and Robert, heard when we would sit up late at night and talk about the Bible and Jesus. I hope that that idea of, of mercy is what I, what, I, what I extended to them. I will say that um, as I continued working with Adam and Robert, again, Adam was heavily addicted to, to drugs and alcohol, and Robert was gay, and one of them started to understand that God was merciful, and one of them didn't. Like, one of them started to accept himself and love himself and understand, I think, that God loved him, that God was merciful toward him, and one of them just didn't get it. Like, one of them uh, just kind of continued in hopelessness. Hi, everyone. Come on in. One of those young people, when I left and, and went on to be a teacher, one of them could openly say, you know what, what my family taught me about God and about me is just wrong. I'm not unlovable, I'm not outside of God's love, I'm a person doing my best, right? And the other one didn't get it. The other one just kind of continued in this, uh, this just fear, like always afraid of what he was going to do or not going to do, how he was going to be left out. And, and his family put that in him, and that's really sad. Kids, we have been talking about Jesus, those of you who just came in. We've been talking about the ways that Jesus is how we see God. That when we, when we think of God, we see Jesus. We see God through Jesus, and we see Scripture through Jesus. And Jesus wants from us mercy and not sacrifice. And mercy is, is being open to the world, being open to one another, being open to other people. So every week we leave this table and we uh, go out to work and we do all the things that people do. We work and, and we pray and we spend time with our family we make mistakes, and, and we apologize for those mistakes. And then every week we come back to this table because this is where we experience the mercy of God. One of my favorite writers used to say that after everything, after all the life that we live on a weekly basis, we come back to the table where God comes to the poor as food. And that's such a beautiful way for us to think of, of God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was uh, eating with his friends, his friends who would eventually abandon him or betray him. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. It's very um, strong bread. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. 
He said, when you eat this meal, remember me. Remember who I am.